Amen. Kids are dismissed at Children's Church. Kids up to the sixth grade can make your way to Children's Church and the workers as well. I would like to just take a moment to talk about something uh, that's going to be going on starting tonight. Uh, we're going to be beginning something uh, called the Bible Knowledge Hour. There's an announcement in your bulletin right underneath the order of service. And I would encourage you to take a look at that. There will be three different avenues for you to be a part of this. One would be to come right here at 6 p.m. tonight. And we'll be beginning this new series on a survey through the Bible. It's not a traditional survey, but you're going to get um, quite a bit of information. And the goal here is this is one of our... Um, ideas of helping our people increase their Bible knowledge. And so we as a church want the people that attend Calvary to have a high Bible IQ. The best thing you can do for yourself is to study God's word for yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you to illumine the word, and we are thankful for that. But there's also something very sweet and special about a formal study. And it might seem elementary right at the beginning. I did put a handout in the main foyer, so if you'd like to get a little bit of a sneak peek as to what we'll be covering, it's gonna be an introduction to the Bible for the first three weeks, and then we'll start in Genesis after that. Uh, I said there's three avenues for you to be a part of this. One is 6 p.m. here in the auditorium. The other is by tuning in on the radio. Um, But if you tune in on the radio, you won't be part of the Q&A time. So we're going to stop broadcasting at 645, and we will have a QA and a time here in-house, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Sometimes people like to stump the teacher, and that might not be too hard, but uh, we will have a Q&A time. You can tune in on the radio, listen on 1230 AM WMPC. And then also, we are going to upload all of these lessons right onto our website. So the goal is, is down the road, someone who has very little uh, Bible background can go and click on this Bible Knowledge Hour and they can go through and listen through a start of a teaching through the Bible and I'm predicting between 120 and 170 lessons. I know that's a pretty wide range, but I know it'll be at least um, 120 and we'll spend more time in some books than others, but this is a great opportunity. So you can be in on the ground floor if you attend tonight at six o'clock and uh, be a part of that. We're changing the format just a little bit. Couple songs, and then we're gonna jump right into it. So I'd like to encourage you to be a part of that in one of those three ways. All right, let me go ahead and ask for God's wisdom and help during our time. Precious Father, we come to you with the word of God opened as you have given that to us. We praise you for that. And it'll be my prayer right now that the Holy Spirit would be opening hearts. That it would not just be my feeble attempt to study and to communicate what the word of God says. But the Holy Spirit would be clearly working in the hearts of your children. Perhaps God softening a heart of some individual that has not called upon you for salvation, that this will be the day of their salvation. God, I would stand here humbled, understanding the great responsibility and the joy that it is to open the word and to teach it. And I would ask that there would be distractions that would just be pushed aside. I know the distractions that come, not just something that happens during a service, but the hundreds and thousands of thoughts that have been carried into this place. But God, help these next several moments to not be a waste of time for anyone. Help the word of God to be clear. Help us, Lord, to be submitted to this time 
as we look to be closer to you because of studying your word. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to start by relaying a true story to you. One Friday evening, Susan was on the way to fill her car with gas. Her children, Ryan and Kelly, were staying overnight at Grandma's. Susan's husband, Matt, was working late, a frequent pattern that she hated. Suddenly, she spotted Matt in his car with a female sitting close to him. Susan followed at a distance until they stopped at an apartment building. She watched in horror as they walked in the apartment building together. And then she waited. And she waited. Three hours later, Matt came out alone. She followed his car back to the office, and then she went to her home. When Matt showed up long after midnight, Susan confronted him. He admitted everything, but showed no guilt, and he showed no regret. Susan was boiling mad, and she verbally ripped Matt up one side and down the other. When she was done with her tirade, she burst into tears, and she ran into the bedroom sobbing. Matt followed, but he offered no sympathy at all. His response to her rage was a seething anger of his own. Quote, I've had it, unquote. He snapped. He started packing his suitcase, and then and there he moved out. Since Matt did not take all of his clothes with him, Susan secretly hoped that he intended to come back home. In spite of her heartbreak over the incident, she still loved him. That is a true story from a book titled Running the Red Lights by Charles Mylander. And I'll let you know the story does have a happy ending, but it was not without much pain that would follow that initial incident. Let me ask this question to us today. What is a person to do when they stop and they realize the disastrous place that they are in as a result of their own sin? What can somebody do? They come to a place that has gone so much farther than they ever would have thought they, would, they could have gone. I'm talking about a place where marriages fall apart. I'm talking about a place where possibly the police have to be called because of monies that have been stolen from a workplace or some other organization. What's a person to do when they get to that spot? And I think that if you and I could go into the heads, and likely we associate the word scandal with things like this, if we could get into the head, the thought process of an individual that finds themselves in that spot, if we could rewind back just a few months, I think that much of the time they would have never imagined that they would have found themselves in that place doing that thing. In fact, they might have found themselves on the judging side of that, looking upon others, not understanding how someone could go that far. Today, as we look into God's word, we're going to see four downward steps 
in a path towards sin. Paul writes about these steps in his letter to the church at Ephesus. And I want to spend time on really the initial step, the first thing. And I want to ask you to have your radar up, if you will. There should be some red flags that will be raised when you see this first thing going on. And I'm going to spend the majority of my time talking about that. So let's look at some application about how we can guard against that first step that might take us down a road that would lead us far from God and deep into sin. And let me just give you the main focus of what we're talking about today. It's on your screen there. The main challenge is for us to guard against developing a hard heart towards God. That's the challenge that I am bringing for us, some applications for each one of us. You see, a hard heart is going to be the first domino that we see mentioned that lands a Christian in a place that they could not imagine they would go to. And so how does a person, so I'm talking about Christians here, someone who loves God, how do they go from a place of having a tender heart towards God to having a hard heart towards God? And that probably conjures up some kind of a picture in your mind. What does it look like? A hard heart. And the order that we find as we get into God's word is, is different than I would have suspected that it would be. Let me give you these three applications. These are three things right off the bat that you can do to guard against um, your heart hardening towards God. First of all is repeated and unrepentant sin will harden your heart towards God. And, and if you're a note taker, I know you're getting these down. If you're not a note taker, maybe just these three things I'm giving you. They are gold as a spot right on the back of your bulletin to write. If you've got a photographic memory, never mind, just click them in there. These are helpful, though. The first thing that can harden a person's heart towards God is going to be repeated and unrepentant sin. 1 John 1.9 is a very familiar scripture to us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. God is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the teaching there is not when someone initially comes to God and asks for forgiveness. They realize that they are separated from God because um, they are a sinner and they ask God for salvation. That's not the idea. The idea here is going to be the sin that comes up in a believer's life. And we must guard against allowing sin to go on and on and on and I, I know the pattern. The pattern goes like this. You fall into that sin, and every one of us is different. You have a different bent. You might have different things that are tempting to you. You'll have a different environment that you're in. And we fall into a sin, and we'll confess it to God. And then sometimes we'll come right back to that same sin. And sometimes we get to the point where we're coming to confess it to God and we say, you know what, I think I'm just going to do this again next Friday night. And so we get to the point where we don't confess it. And I want to challenge you that when that happens, when we keep repeating this and when there's not confession that takes place, there is a, and this is going to be a repeated theme, there is a, there is a thickening that's going on, a thickening between yourself 
and God. And it's not God doing the thickening, but it is you. You are doing something to yourself when you do not confess your sin and you keep doing it. What happens if we don't confess our sin very soon? The conviction will get less and will get less until we get to a point where there is a, a searing of the conscience. So number one, to guard against a hardening of your heart towards God, repeated and unrepentant sin will harden your heart. B, pride will harden your heart towards God. And you say, well, isn't this a sin? Yes, it is, but I think it's important enough to point out. Pride, gone unchecked, will harden your heart very quickly towards God. Earlier in our study, when we were in the first part of Ephesians 4, we were challenged with the practice um, of practicing the humility of Jesus Christ in our relationships. It wasn't just a, if you will practice humility, then probably you're going to have some good success. The idea in the lesson was, is humility is a non-negotiable. With a growing church family, with growing relationships with you and others, humility must be a part of that. And my mind went right back to the Old Testament story of Pharaoh. Many of you are familiar with that story of Pharaoh and how God told Moses, go and tell him, let my people go. And God said to Moses, I'm going to show him my mighty hand. And God did. God did some miracles that oppressed the Egyptians and was very uh, easy on God's people, the Hebrews. And the Bible tells us repeatedly that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Something else happened and Pharaoh hardened his heart. Another plague came when the Bible says Pharaoh hardened his, his heart. And then out of nowhere, another plague comes and the Bible says something different. What does it say? It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There was something that was being repeated that was having an effect. For the believer today, we have an old nature so if you're a Christian today, if, if you're a believer, you have a new nature, but you also have an old nature. And these two reside side by side within the child of God. And that old nature is at war with your new nature. And the old nature is working tirelessly, tirelessly at convincing you of this. Are you ready for this? And if you live in America, you're going to receive this message pretty well, okay? You know, you're, you're, you're a pretty good girl apart from God. You're not all that bad. You know, as a guy, you're, you're a stand-up guy. Just compare yourself to thousands of people, and you're much better than all of them, even apart from God. The area of pride goes back all the way to the beginning of the story with Lucifer and then with Adam and Eve. And pride can sneak in, and I think the devil understands this is one of his best tools and when we allowed pride in our hearts and it goes unchecked, it can harden our heart towards God. Listen to verses three and four of Obadiah one and try to get the mental picture here that God is, that God is putting together. It says this about pride. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? 
Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If you have not yet learned that pride goes before a fall, our God is loving enough to let you learn that lesson on your own if you will not humble yourself. And a huge indicator of pride and struggling with pride is not being open to correction. And so every one of us needs to ask that question. Who is there in my life that can correct me? There needs to be someone. If you, on your own, don't have anyone that you will listen to rebuke from, you're in a dangerous place. You've set yourself above everyone else in this world. And God has given us a church family to hold each other accountable. And I'm not saying that's easy, okay? I mean, let's, let's get real about it. I don't like you telling me that I did something wrong or need to fix something. You don't like me telling you that. Not being open to correction is a huge indicator of pride. And some of you, I know some of you go through Proverbs on a regular basis, and I would recommend that if you don't already. Proverbs is like that fatherly advice, that fatherly advice that goes from a dad to a son or to a daughter. When you read through Proverbs on a regular basis, that, that's what you get. And constantly through Proverbs, we find be open to correction, be open to rebuke. Do not stiffen your neck when someone tries to help you with something to correct you. Number two, pride will harden your heart towards God. And then number three, and let me just go ahead and say this, one of these things is not like the other, okay? And it's number three. Number three is, diff- is different. And the, the difference comes in the word uh, can. So number three, or C there, pain and difficulty can harden your heart towards God. Pain and difficulty can harden your heart towards God. And this is why this one is different. Because habitual sin that you're repeating and not repenting of. And pride, we don't find either one of those in any place in the Bible where you need to rejoice in those there's never a place where it says you know i mean i i heard somebody say whatever the biblical equivalent of pride is i'm proud to be an american or i'm proud to and i get that and let's not get too crazy about the semantics the idea that i'm trying to give you here is though that a and b there's no place for that in a person's life that's going to make them better except for by learning from their mistakes. But see, pain and difficulty, there is a place for that. The Apostle Paul repeatedly tells us to rejoice in our trials. And just as steel is strengthened by a hammer, the pounding of a hammer, our faith is strengthened by trials only if we respond in the wrong way. And I want to encourage you today that you can harden your heart if you respond in the wrong way. You have to respond in the right way to pain and difficulty, and your heart can be hardened if you respond in the wrong way. And this applies to all of us. I have yet to find anybody over the age of 18 who has not faced some kind of difficulty, pain, or trial. So if you haven't seen it yet, it's likely coming. But God doesn't waste those. But you need to know they're coming And you need to be on guard that the devil wants you to harden your heart towards God when some trials come. 
All right, that's the three applications for you. All that to bring us to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're not already there, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And I wasn't sure how early what I would say this, but we're just going to call this um, Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24, part 1. Okay, we're not going to get through the whole thing today. Also, did you know that God never tells us what to do or what not to do without telling us what to do? God never tells you thou shalt not without telling you thou shalt. God is beautiful. He's so wonderful and how he takes care of us. And in this, the, these few verses today, we see what God tells us not to do or what God tells us to take off. But then he also tells us what to put on. And if you are planning to be gone next week, that's part two. That's what we're supposed to do. So today might sound a little bit negative, but it's extremely important. Let me give you a summary statement of this section here that we'll talk about this week and next week. Obeying the desires of your fallen nature is dangerous and is not compatible with your new nature. God's will for you is to obey the new nature that is within. So we have a fallen nature, we have a new nature. They are at war with each other. We go to plenty of places for this. Romans 1, if you want to do some reading ahead for next week, Romans chapter 1 is a great place to go to. These two are at war within each other. Let me give a little bit of review um, of, the, of the city of Ephesus. So we find a letter here written to uh, the church at Ephesus as well as some other churches. Can you remember Ephesus? Some of you were here for our study in the book of Acts and when Paul went to Ephesus and some things about Ephesus that we remember. It was a very important city in the Roman Empire. Ephesus was a leading city of commerce. And that is the only positive thing that I will say about Ephesus. It was one of the most evil cities in the world at the time. It was home of the ancient temple of Diana or Artemis, Artemis of the Ephesians. Some of you, if you were here for our Acts study, might remember those, uh, those uh, craftsmen that would make small idols of the, of the goddess Diana, and they would sell them. And when Christianity invaded the town, that business was taking a hit, and that's what drove uh, a revolt and a panic because they were affecting their pocketbook. Ephesus was an asylum for criminals to some extent. History tells us that a quarter mile around the temple of Diana was actually a sanctuary area for criminals. So can you imagine the kind of, um, kind of things that went on in that environment? Thousands of, listen, I'm going to say it again, thousands of temple prostitutes. This was part of their religion. Thousands of priestesses. And I tell you all that so you can understand this. There is something that's, that's going to be said here to these believers, and many of these believers came right out of that lifestyle. So for those of you who look around at our culture and our nation and our day, and you think, man, I can't imagine the world's ever been any worse than this, I recommend to you, you study Ephesus. It was much, much worse, in my opinion. Some of these believers... This church that was an oasis in a cesspool of a city, it was horrible, and believers were called out of that. And that's who the Apostle Paul writes to here. I'm going to read verses 17 through 24, the whole thing, and we'll just cover the first half of it today. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the, and I want you to try to catch the list here. We like lists in America. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, That is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, there it is, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's stop right there and just talk about the first half of these. We find the Apostle Paul here referring to these two natures, the old man and the new man, or the fallen nature and our new nature. And he says these dwell within every Christian. Christian. And then he gives us, I found, four downward steps. We've already talked a whole lot about one of them, which I think is the initial one, and that's a hard heart. So let's go and look at that one quickly because we've already spent most of our time on that. Verse number 18 talks about that hard heart. Look at it again with me. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. And then it says, due to the hardness of their heart. So that takes us in the sentence structure and puts it right at the beginning. The hardness of their heart is where it began. And we've already given much of our time to this, but all I will say to add to this, the imagery that we get in the New Testament is the thickening of the outer skin, making it insensible. I've mentioned that before. I'm going to mention it again. So a hard heart is where it begins. Let's go ahead and see uh, number two, three, and four. The second one is a dark mind. A dark mind. And the mind is so important. The mind has to be there to lead you to a place of understanding. But also, what you put in your mind, what you dwell on, it can lead you to a place of understanding, but what can it also do? It can lead you to a place of destruction or ignorance. Uh, Verse 17 says, in the futility of their minds. Verse 18 says, darkened in their understanding and also because of the ignorance that is in them. Let me just just take a little aside here just for a second. I won't spend much time on it and just give a challenge. The idea that you need to walk away here is not that you have something to trash talk people that don't know Jesus Christ. That's not the idea. The idea that Paul is teaching is of which were some of you, if I can borrow that phrase that he uses somewhere else. They used to be like this. And I'm not sure what your testimony is. I know some of you grew up in a Christian home, and so you've been taught the principles of the Bible and the gospel since before you can remember. I get that. But we need to be very, very careful not to fall into the trap of thinking that we are so much better than those outside the body of Christ. We are only a sinner saved by grace. And Paul here says, be careful. 
Do not let your heart get hardened. And that's going to happen. And when that happens, you're going to start to, when you, and here's my, this is very practical. When you go through the scriptures, you're just not going to want to apply it very much. You might even keep the habit of Bible reading, but it's not going to be alive to you anymore. And it's helpful that Paul does not tell us what not to do without telling us what to do. And later on, he mentions what we're supposed to put on, what we're supposed to think about. And there is much to be said about what we allow our minds to dwell on. And that's a whole sermon, isn't it? What you put in your mind. And likely many of you have lived it. If you give an extended amount of time to something, it's going to dominate your thinking. And if that extended amount of time that you're giving to something is, and this is where you've got to define it, right, is contrary to Christ. If you're dwelling on something that is anti-Christ, this is going to be a step that will harden your heart. We need to be very, very careful. It is the mind that leads us to either ignorance or leads us to understanding. Then number three, and, and a little quicker we'll go, alienated from the life of God. Alienation from the life of God. He mentions that here. And just for a little explanation, this is the idea that you are putting distance between yourself and God. And I know that that line resonates because I've heard that again and again and again over the years. I just don't feel as close to God. I was talking with uh, one of, a brother in Christ in the past couple weeks and we were talking about this idea that God is immutable. God is immutable. If you don't know what that means, that means God does not change. And so I mentioned that to say this. If there is distance between you and God, understand that God has not changed. It's not that you loved him or coming after him and now God is so aloof and he's hiding around the corner somewhere. If it feels like there's distance between you and God, the verbiage here that Paul uses, alienation from the life of God, you need to check yourself. And it does not mean that it seems like God is quiet at some times. And it does not mean that it can seem like God is far away, but you need to remind yourself with the promises of God's word, which tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's what you have And with this alienation from God, that space will seem wider and wider and wider. And so they'll get little layers that thicken the heart. It thickens the heart, little layers between us and God, and it leads to a darkening of our mind, which means you're not seeing things clearly. And it leads to being more distant from God, and that leads to the last one, which is a calloused life. A calloused life. Look at verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So understand this picture of callous. And the idea is, is I think the best word is shameless. Someone who used to have shame when something happened. You were embarrassed when you heard a story like that. Knew someone was talking about that. When that would come across a screen that you are watching, you were embarrassed a little bit. 
and an individual will get to the point where there is no more shame. And I hope you're seeing the danger of this continuing sin and not having a sense of guilt. There is danger in that. You will become calloused. You will not see things clearly. You will, are you ready? You will allow your life to be destroyed. You'll get to a place that you never thought you could have gotten to because you are more concerned about these smaller things. You're more concerned about covering up your sin. You're more concerned about what someone thinks of you or your position or your pocketbook than you are of being holy. And you will start to not see things clearly just so you won't get caught. And there's a payday that is coming. According to an old story, there was a Spartan youth that stole a fox from someone that he knew. He stole that fox and made his way down the road. And he came across the owner of that fox. He took that fox and he hid it underneath his tunic. This is an old story. He hid it underneath his tunic. And the discipline that that young Spartan had, he stood there and didn't move a muscle and didn't flinch as that fox was hidden underneath and as he had interaction with the owner of that fox. And while he stood there and did not let on what he had done, that fox was able to tear out a vital organ. And he didn't even make a face. He didn't even flinch. If you think that you are allowed to have repeated sin and unrepented sin, and if you are allowed to walk in pride, and there's not going to be a payday, you are mistaken. We have to guard against allowing sin to remain because you're going to allow yourself to be destroyed from the inside out. And this happens when we don't confess our sin, when we do not humble ourselves, and when we respond incorrectly to trial and pain. Okay, what can you do? I've already given some applications, but specifically, what can you do with this? Well, First of all, keep short accounts with God. You must do this. We, as children of God, can talk right to Him. So you can confess your sins to God. So what that does is it cuts out the middleman. So the middleman doesn't know if you're not confessing your sins to God. So we walk around a fellowship like this thinking that person's okay. And we get into a dangerous spot. There is a real danger in thinking that you are getting away with sin. Let me just give one more closing illustration. <clears throat> when I was in college, there was a young man who was in college there, and I went to a, a, a Christian college. This is a young man that went to church and claimed to be a Christian. And uh, back then, the internet was fairly new. Um, I know that takes some of you young people back a little ways, but the internet was a new thing at one point. And the college was able to monitor the internet uh, usage of the students that were there. And there was a young man, and he would use the internet to go right to some uh, adult websites. And in examining it, and the time frame that he had been doing it, the statement came up among some of the leaders that were there. It almost seems like he was trying to get caught. 
And I think, I think maybe he was. I think the sin had eaten him up so much that he wanted to get caught with what was, what was going on. And we need to understand that when the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out, that is a loving thing. Your God loves you enough to not let you get away with your sin and to catch you in that. So number one, the first thing you need to do, keep short accounts with God. That means confess the sin. I think we can apply that verse, pray without ceasing here. When you get up in the morning and you've sinned the night before, make it right. Get on your knees. Talk to God. There is never a time when his ear is not open to his children. Confess that sin to God. Keep short accounts. There's a price to pay. If you're looking down the road, I'm just going to do it again. I'm just going to sin again. Confess it to God. He's patient. He's loving. Number two, regularly ask God to expose any pride in your life. And I think this one's tougher. You need to ask God, search me, O God, and know my heart today. See if there be any wicked way in me. Ask God to expose any pride in your life. And I gave that practical application earlier. If you find yourself not open to correction or rebuke, from anybody else really, that might be an indicator that you've got a pride problem. Ask God to reveal this to you. Pride is sure to come when we are looking more at ourselves than when we're looking at God. And then finally, we need to respond correctly to pain. Be open to what God is trying to do in difficulty and trials in our life. Regarding pain and trials, let me, I don't know, I think this will be a blessing to you. Some of the happiest Christians that I know are Christians that have faced incredible pain and suffering. Some of the Christians that I know that I want to be around the most are the ones that have every reason to sigh in the middle of a day. They have every reason to complain being denied the privileges and the pleasures that they might see in others around them. And yet those that have responded in the right way to pain, they have not hardened their heart. Not one thin little layer of a hardening that's going to be a second and a third until there's a callousness there and we're insensitive to God. But instead, they respond to pain and trials By saying this, God, what are you trying to teach me? Those are just some of the most beautiful words that you will ever whisper. What are you trying to teach me? I had someone give me some great counsel years ago when I was going through a tough spot, difficulty. And they said this. I'll confess to you, I didn't get it when he said it tough, tough time in my life. And this godly friend said, God is preparing you for something important. God is preparing you for something bigger than yourself. I, didn't, I would rather have not gone through the pain if I was in charge. But the beautiful counsel and this question we need to ask, God, what are you trying to teach me? Now, 
let me just go ahead and try to give an application for everybody because I started this with a person who found himself breaking his wedding vows, cheating on his wife, showing no shame, no remorse. We talk about individuals that get to a point that they never could have thought that they have gotten to, whether it be a money scandal or something else. But can I just challenge you with this? While the devil would rejoice at those huge scandals and those places where somebody gets to, he is just as content for you to get to a place where there's a space between you and God and nobody else knows about it and for you to camp out there for about 80 years. The devil is just as content for you to allow that little bit of hardness that nobody else knows about. And you can walk through and you know when to stand up and sit down in the church service and you know the responses to give. You might even be increasing your Bible knowledge. You might even sing in the choir. And the devil is just as content for you as long as you're not being effective for God, as long as you are being alienated, as long as there's enough hardness, that's cool. If he cannot have your soul, he just wants to make you ineffective in this world. And I would just challenge you with this. Keep fighting. Understand that God will never give up on you. That is not a license to sin. That is a promise that you go to God, you fall on your face, and you confess your sins to God. And you might need to go and confess your sins to your fellow brother or sister and your family in the church. And when we do that, it's so freeing. It's so beautiful. And God will prepare us for something. I do not wish pain upon anybody. I do not wish for someone to do you wrong. I do not wish for cancer or some other kind of sickness to come your way. I don't. But I do know on this side of heaven, we're going to face tough stuff. And I do know that God is with us every step of the way. God does not tell us what not to do without telling us what to do. And next time, we'll get right into the renewing of your mind, a beautiful way to walk in victory. That's what he wants for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you for the fact that you have left us as stewards of the hearts that we have, our innermost being, and I recognize that something can take place there that would push us farther from you. Maybe we'd be more concerned about side issues, about reputation, about our job, or about our marriage than we are about making sure we're doing right. God, we are completely open before you. We thank you, God, that you know us. You know every heart here. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, I want to give you a chance to pray and just, I want to give you a chance to pray to God right now. Maybe, maybe you have some sin that you've not confessed. I don't need you to come and tell me. I need you to talk to God. Would you search your heart? Some of you don't have to search very far. You know it haunts you, that sin. It's keeping you from God. Maybe you've allowed pride 
to slip in. That's a tough one to recognize. Ask God to reveal pride to you. Maybe you have responded to pain in a way that you feel completely justified in responding to it, and yet instead of learning something from God, you've developed a a callousness towards God because of it. I'm gonna ask Ron to play through a song on the piano, and as he plays through, I'm gonna give you a chance to pray. As we always do, if you are here today and you're not saved, you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you're not confident that you're gonna go to heaven when you die, you can do that right now. That's why Christ died on the cross, so that you could ask for forgiveness. That's the step that it takes to get that new nature. And then it takes to have victory because we lean on God. Take just a moment now. If you're not saved today, you can ask him to save you. Maybe there's something else God's laid on your heart.